Hello, hello, Gorge. How are you? Hello, lovely. I'm so wonderful because I get to spend my morning talking to you. Likewise. So right out the gate, I need to get it out. Fully up to date on fucking Barry and I'm fully up to date on Stranger Things. And I can't handle my life about either of them. I am not up to date on Stranger Things, but I did watch the season finale of Barry last night and I am still in just a state of shock and awe because it was one of the most amazing things I've ever watched legitimately in my entire life. It was probably the best season finale of a show I've ever seen, hands down. Yeah, it's up there. I feel bad that I literally can't say anything about anything that happened in it, but it was so insane that I was like trying to eat dinner while I was watching it. And I literally just like sat there with the bowl in my hands and my jaw dropped for like 15 minutes straight before I could even like continue eating. Yeah. I, I very much appreciated. I don't know if you saw, they did like a three minute, I think it was a little bit longer than three minutes, but it was a like a season three retrospective where they had the little interviews. So I was like, thank you. That's all I wanted. I needed this so bad. And Bill Hader was like, I promise season four will be funnier. <laughs> but I loved it. I thought it was amazing. Okay. I'm looking forward to season four. Yeah. I feel like I know what it's going to be, but I can't say it because obviously that would include some huge spoilers for this season. I did not see that though. So I need to go back and one, rewatch the episode again because it was amazing. And two, watch that. Oh, absolutely. Oh my God. And also, I so appreciate how many callbacks they do of itself. Yes. And how it's just done. The I love you thing. The I love you and the repetition. Yes. The like the ex- the repetition exercise just keeps coming up, but in different contexts that make sense. And it's not what that is, but it is like a callback. And I'm just like, oh my God, I love this show so much. It's so good. It's so well done. So well done. Something that was very interesting to me is there's a scene that's done entirely in Spanish and it is not subtitled. I was going to say, there was definitely a part of that I missed out on that I literally, while I was watching, I was like, Monique knows what the fuck is going on right now. And I do not. (laughs) So I'm a little jealous because Monique understands what's happening. Well, because I know what was happening in the scene, I'm very curious as to what it was like watching it, not knowing what was happening in the scene. I mean, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I mean, I assume she's just trying to convince him to love her, right? And I mean... Yeah. Is that like what she's saying? Like, is she saying something that's like very far off the mark? No, it's essentially, it's essentially like, don't be into this thing and be into this thing instead. Yeah. Touch my titty. Yeah. Like get into it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's essentially that. Okay. I picked up like three words out of the whole conversation and I was so proud of that. I even got those three words. I was like, yes. Awesome. (laughs) Me gusto. Yes. But I thought it was a really interesting choice to not subtitle it, like at all. I did too. In fact, I watch everything with subtitles and the subtitles literally just say like talking in Spanish. And I was like, great. Thanks so much for that. I couldn't tell. No shit. Yes. Yes. So ridiculous. Hmm. Interesting. I know. I was very jealous of you in that moment because I was like. I'll I'll go through and I'll I'll, uh, transcribe it for you and I'll send it to you. So you know what's happening in the scene. Thank you. <laughs> I got you. I know. I was like, damn it. Now I need to rewatch this with Monique so she could tell me what's being said because I have no idea. Oh, darn. Fine. I'll, I'll, I'll fall on that grenade and watch Barry with one of my favorite people. I'll make that sacrifice, Amy. <laughs> Twist my arm. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
I don't deserve you. I don't deserve you. I'm still, I'm catching up on the staircase. Okay. You warned me against that. And now with how like graphic it is. And now I'm like too afraid. I just like, I'm never going to be in the mood for that. I get that. I'd say the first episode is, is tough. Also, I feel like I just have PTSD from the documentary. So it's much better than the doc. Well, yes, as it should be HBO. Thank you. As the two people who were not wrapped and, and enthralled by the staircase, 87 part documentary. Oh my God. It's so long. I couldn't. <laughs> Amy crapped out. She was like, I can't even do the last three episodes of this. I literally like, a, it was like 13 episodes long and I literally tapped out at like 11, episode 11, which like, come on. I was so close. She already invested 11 hours in it. <laughs> I was two away and I still was just like, uh, I'm just done. I have no interest in this. I did go see the new David Cronenberg movie, which was oh shit, super fucking weird. As you should, if you know David Cronenberg, it makes sense. Yeah, that tracks. What? Uh, what's the name of it? Crimes of the Future. He apparently did a version back in the seventies. Although I read the plot synopsis for that, and it sounds like they are quite different. Vigo Mortensen's in it, and. It's just very, very weird. It was one of those movies that as it was ending, like for the last scene, I was like, oh, this is where it's going to end. And while that's not like super satisfying, I'm also like kind of okay with that. Uh Uh-huh. I get that. I was like, there's a part. This is, I just have to like, there's no way to explain how weird this is without (laughs) like an example. So I have to give you one example, slight spoiler, maybe, I don't know if you want to like fast forward the next 10 seconds, go for it. Okay. So there's a scene where he has backup. So (laughs) he grows like new organs. He's like growing new organs inside of him. Okay. And it's like performance art that he gets them taken out. He gets them like tattooed and taken out by this woman who's also a surgeon. Okay. So he, at one point, gets a zipper, like, installed in his torso, and she opens the zipper, and, well, he's gonna, he's gonna enter an inner beauty pageant, and I guess that was, like, the, he had to, like, go through, like, an audition, and then that was, like, getting the zipper put put in. So it's, so it's a physical, like, literal inner beauty pageant. Yes, where they look literally inside your body. So she opens his zipper (laughs) in his abdomen and like makes out with it a little bit. It's, yes. (laughs) Monique, or as I described it to Johnny when we left the movie theater, she tongue fucked his zipper hole. It was so weird. I don't know how to explain how weird this movie was. I like your face is correct. No one can see, but she's like, <laughs> I will never be over what you just said to me. Monique, <laughs> I am still reeling from this movie. I will never be over it. So if you want to see that happen, by all means, go see Crimes of the Future by David Cronenberg. I'm pretty sure what Amy just described is probably way worse than my true crime story today. <laughs> okay. So we got the trauma out early. Yes. <laughs> Brought to you by Amy, per usual. Yeah. There you go. Uh, per usual. Yes, correct. 
I had to share the trauma, Monique. Like, I'm still traumatized. I'm not over it. Uh, I mean, I get it. If that's what she saw, I just heard it and I'm never going to be over this. It was weird. It was really weird. <sighs> oh, God. Oh, my God. I did see Mark McDonough's Hangman on Broadway yesterday. Oh. Which is wonderful. You're so classy. I love you. You're like, I'm so like Broadway shows. It also doesn't hurt that I live in the theater district. So it's literally steps away from my apartment. I could just go see a show. Yeah. It would take me like an hour and a half to get there by train. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Genuinely. But I love Mark McDonough. He is one of my favorite playwrights. For those who are not, who don't live in New York, you'd probably be most familiar with his work because he wrote and I believe directed three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Yes. That won all of the Academy Awards. And he's just wonderful. And and he's Irish and has that wicked uh, Irish humor and sensibility and, and has this thing of talking about things and displaying things that are very horrific and very awful and sad and real. But you don't feel like shit afterwards, which another playwright who I'm not going to name check does. And it's awful. And then you're like, and he's like, go home. Life is shit. But somehow Mark McDonough, I'd say kind of with the exception of Hangman, there's usually some hope at the end of, you watch this awful thing happen and you're still laughing because it's hilarious. And and then you, it always ends usually on a note of hope, which is, I think, very cool. And as a, a, a eternal optimist, probably to my detriment, I, I really jive with that. So it's the last uh, week that it's open. I love that. I honestly, we we need that. Yeah. As much as I love like a very like dark, realistic ending where I'm like, ooh, that like hurts me, but also it's real. I mean, even three billboards ended very hopefully, if you recall. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Which like people had complaints about it. There were some complaints that were valid that were like, <laughs> like that's not how DNA works, which whatever, fine. I'm not Grace, so I don't really know. But then there was like another complaint that it was like, well, you're trying to make this person not be a piece of shit. I'm like, you know, growth is a, a thing that can happen in a human being. That's kind of the goal, I imagine, of like the human yes. experience is that you don't, if you're a piece of shit, you don't stay that way. And you like grow a little bit, but you know, that's just me. No, I, I, I love Mark McDonough. I think he's fucking rad. He also did in Bruges. Bruges. Oh, yes. That's him as well. I love that movie. It's a great fucking, because it's, it's that sensibility. It's so fucking good. It's that dark sense of humor. I love it. But it's like, you're right. It is like very upbeat still. Uh, yeah. So that's very much his thing. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, and then he also did Seven Psychopaths, which I love <gasps> so much. That's also Mark McDonough. Okay. I didn't realize, but I love like a lot of his work. You love Mark McDonough. Yeah. Yes. So he's predominantly a playwright and then every now and then does amazing movies. Clearly. Yeah. Amazing movies. And again, Seven Psychopaths ends very hopefully. Christopher Walken's character's arc ends very hopefully. I just love Mark McDonough. I think he's fucking rad and smart and funny. Like how there's like kind of left field humor brought into like really serious conversations. So it ran in West End, I believe, in 2018. And then it went to the Atlantic, which is uh, not a Broadway theater. It's not a Broadway contract. In 2018. And it was like the hottest ticket. Sold out, sold out, sold out. I managed to get a ticket. And I was like, holy fuck, this is amazing. And then it was going to go to Broadway that season. But the main antagonist, his wife got pregnant. So he's like, well, I've got to go back to 
UK and like, you know, have a baby and shit. So they're like, okay, well, we can't do the show without you. So we're going to push it back to the 2019, 2020 Broadway season. Obviously that's, you know, we don't need to go into what happened there. And so that show closed before it opened because <laughs> of 2020. And then it finally came back. But it was like, you know, fucking five years, four years from when it was supposed to come Broadway already. So like um, originally rather. So there was only like a few holdouts from the original production, but it was still great. Like it's always interesting to see different actors do the same role and see like what their choices are. Because Alfie Allen played the antagonist Ish. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Theon Greyjoy of Game of Thrones fame. But I don't, I just love Mark McDonough. That was, that's just a very long winded way of me saying that I love Mark McDonough and he's fucking rad. And <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. And like, if you haven't seen his movies, you should. And if you have, and you should check out his plays. Pillow Man, for instance, is a fucking work of art. It's fucking beautiful and fucked up. Like I, all of his things are fucked up and beautiful somehow at the same time and, and wickedly funny. And that's just my baseline. I just, I fucking love that. And he's just great at it. Yeah. I was like, you could describe life that way. So yeah. 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 I like that. So yes, yeah, so that's, so I did that yesterday in, in my, my two weeks of working my tits off and not having a second, I found time to see Hangman before I closed. That's wonderful. I respect the fuck out of that. Mm-hmm. Like you take your, your art seriously. Yeah, man. Yes. I mean, I try, you know, even though I'm not saying try anymore, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going? Not great. Like it's hard. Yeah. Not great, but you know, it's, it's a process. <laughs> it's a battle. I'm here for you. I support you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I love you. I adore you. That said, should, should we get to the shit? Let's get to the shit, girl. Are you ready? I'm fucking ready. Give me some spooky shit. All right. I mean, it's been a hot minute since I did an alien story. So you knew. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was happening. I love it. I had to do an alien story. Yes, (laughs) correct. That's what's happening. I knew it was an alien story or a celebrity ghost story. I knew that it had to be one of those because it had been too long for either of those. It's very true. I contemplated a celebrity ghost story and then I just like got sucked into a rabbit hole. And then I was like, ooh, I'm going to do this instead. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. Mm -hmm. All right. Sources. This Paranormal Life, episode 179, an article from the Glasden Times, August 9th, 1987, theclarionledger.com, washingtonpost.com, libguides.com hindscc.edu, nicap.org, countryroadsmagazine.com, wlox.com, skepticalinquirer.org, and Wikipedia. If that seems like a lot of sources, that's because, again, the rabbit hole. (laughs) Shit is real. (laughs) So, on October 11th, 1973, 42-year-old Charles Hickson invited his co-worker and friend, 19-year-old Calvin Parker to go fishing on the Pascagoula River in Mississippi after work. Hickson was Parker's foreman at the F.B. Walker and Son shipyard and had helped him get the job. Parker was new in town, but had grown up with Hickson's eldest son in like another close by smaller town where he had land. Yeah. Yeah. Parker's plan was to earn some extra money in Pascagoula since his wedding was just a month away before returning home to get married and settle down. 
Parker accepted Hickson's invitation. They got off about four o'clock that day and went by Hickson's house to get the fishing tackle before they went down to the river below the grain elevator. While they managed to catch a few hardheads and a couple of croakers down there, there were too many bugs swarming around, so Hickson suggested they go by the old Shopitter shipyard, where there were fewer lights to attract insects. Mm. When they got there, Parker pointed out the posted no trespassing signs to Hickson, but Hickson just brushed off his concerns and told him not to worry and that he had fished there all the time. Mm. So the two men walked down to the old pier, cast their lines, and waited. After a while, Hickson was about to get some more bait when he heard a hissing sound. When he turned around, he saw flashing blue lights. Parker saw the same blue lights and immediately thought it was the police coming to arrest them. Mm. But when the men stood up, they didn't see police cars. Instead, they saw a 30-foot-long object with a little dome on top floating about two feet above the ground. Oh, shit. Yep. Girl. Dun-dun-dun. UFO bitches. It was oval-shaped and around 8 to 10 feet high, and according to Hickson, it was hovering pretty close to them, probably 25 to 40 yards away from them at most. As the craft hovered nearby, they saw a door open right on the end of it, and a blindingly bright light appeared from the opening. Hickson said, quote, I couldn't figure what in the world was happening, end quote. Now, some of these quotes, because they're from Mississippi, are like very... Mississippi. Southern drawl. Yeah. Mississippi. Yes. So... If you're wondering (laughs) why these aren't grammatically correct, that is why. Yeah. The region. Yes. Then the two men watched as three creatures came gliding out of the craft. Hickson and Parker described them as five foot tall robot-like humanoids with gray skin that was coarse and wrinkled like an elephant's. Ew. Yeah. And this is kind of what stood out to me about this and why I got sucked into this rabbit hole is like, you're so used to hearing descriptions of the grays, and this is so very clearly not that. Yeah. Which, like, really threw me for a loop on this one. hmm Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hickson said they had no neck, and their skin was so wrinkled that he couldn't tell whether they had eyes or not, just that they had a nose and a slit for a mouth. Oh, my God. Yeah. They also had pointed protrusions where a person's ears would be and hands shaped like mittens with no fingers that resembled crab-like pinchers. Hmm. The legs were joined together like a pedestal with something that looked like feet on the bottom, but with no toes. As the creatures floated towards the men, Hickson said he was scared to death and felt paralyzed. Quote, I couldn't move. I don't know if it's because I was so frightened or what. End quote. Hmm. Then... Still frozen in place, he watched as two of the creatures floated behind him and lifted him off the ground with their pinchers, while the third one did the same with Parker. They lifted the men by their arms, but Hickson said they didn't use any force and that he didn't feel anything. They were just suddenly floating along towards the craft with the creatures. The two men were then carried aboard. Hickson said when he looked at Parker, the man had passed out, but Hickson himself remained conscious through the entire ordeal. Oof. Right? I would... Please let me pass the fuck out if this is happening. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would prefer not to remember all of this shit. Thank you. Isn't that a thing in in a movie where like some guy gets shot and he's like, why aren't I passing out? (laughs) Like, why aren't I going into shock? (laughs) Yes. I can't remember what, but that rings a very distinctive bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. According to Hickson, the inside of the craft was filled with bright light that seemed to come from everywhere. The ceiling, the walls, the floor, everywhere, despite there being no visible bulbs. 
Still paralyzed, Hickson said he couldn't resist the creatures and they just moved him where they wanted him. Mm. They then subjected him to an examination with some kind of instrument, which he described as a big eye about the size of a football. He said it went up and down all over his body and there was a constant mechanical sound buzzing the whole time. Hmm. Afterwards, the creatures disappeared and left him by himself, still frozen in place, only able to move his eyes. He didn't know how long he was left alone and wasn't even sure he stayed conscious the entire time. He said, quote, I was just about out of my mind. I thought they were going to kill me. Folks would think we fell off in the river and drowned and nobody would ever know about this. End quote. Mm. Yeah. That's so scary. That's so scary. That's like more terrifying than like having to live with this. I feel like is just being gone. And then your family being like, I wish, were they kidnapped? Were they killed? Like what they drowned? What happened? And then you're like, no, I got taken by aliens. Wouldn't have guessed that. I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before. I'm really bad at telling people where I am. Oh, girl. Because oftentimes I just don't want your opinion. Same. <laughs> girl. And I'm like, and sometimes I'll be like, I'm not even in the state right now. And no one knows except like my Delta Amex essentially. And like, if I get murdered, like no one's going to know where the fuck I am. Like no one's going to, like if I, no one's going to know. It's going to be very surprising. Yes. For a lot of people. Right. And then they'll be like, why was she in fucking Wyoming? Like, you know, and it's not a great way to be. And I'm working on it, but I don't think I'm working that hard on it. (laughs) She'd be working a little harder on it. Like just a one person, at least just like Christina or Nellie or Donna or somebody. It doesn't even have to be me. Just like one person. Give them a heads up. Yeah. You don't even have to tell mine. Just be like, hey, FYI, I'm here. Yeah. Or live a life of mystery. Who am I to stop you? You're an enigmatic woman. Because I just think of things like this. Like if something happened, they'd be like, well, who knows what the fuck happened? Yes. It's, I, that is a very disturbing thought. I don't want that. No, no, no. Eventually, the robot creatures came back and laid him back again. Hickson tried to talk to them, but all he would get in response was a buzzing sound from one of them while the others remained silent. After an unknown amount of time, the creatures returned and the two men were carried back outside and returned to the bank of the river right where they had been taken from. Hickson said they eased him down, but his legs were weak and he immediately fell to the ground. Hmm. He could hear a buzzing sound. And when he looked up, he saw Parker standing in a trance by the river's edge with his arms raised to the sky. Hickson said, quote, I've never seen that sort of fear on a man's face as I saw in Calvin's, end quote. Having fought in the Korean War, Hickson knew the other man was in shock, and if he didn't do something soon, he might die. As he approached Parker, he saw the craft leave. He slaps him a few times to kind of snap him out of it, and the first thing Hickson said to him was that no one was going to believe them, and he suggested they just keep the whole thing to themselves, which Parker was more than happy to agree to. Sure. Still more than a little shaken by the experience, the men returned to Parker's Plymouth only to find the passenger door window shattered, but still in place in the frame. Mm. When they opened the door, the glass fell out. The two said they just sat in the car for nearly an hour recovering. Hickson admitted to drinking a bit of whiskey to calm his nerves after what happened, though he said he hadn't had anything to drink prior to that. Mm -hmm. The car then strangely failed to start several times, even though it was relatively new and had never previously had issues starting, according to Parker. Mm. On the drive back home, as Hickson thought more about what had happened to them, he changed his mind about staying silent and told Parker that they needed to tell someone. And even though Parker was still against the idea, he followed the older man's lead. Mm -hmm. Assuming the police wouldn't believe them, Hickson decided to go straight to the Mississippi Press building. 
He knocked on the door and asked to see a reporter. It's like 10 o'clock at night, by the way, at this point. Okay. Okay. Yes. So it's quite late. Yeah. He knocked on the door and asked to see a reporter, but was told there wouldn't be one in until morning. Not wanting to wait, he decided to call Kessler Air Force Base in Biloxi instead. But the man on the phone just told them that they didn't handle UFO reports anymore and suggested they call the local authorities. So Hickson and Parker called the Jackson County Sheriff's Department from a convenience store payphone to report what they had seen. When Hickson told the officer who answered that he had been picked up by a UFO, the officer burst out laughing. But apologized when he realized how upset Hickson got and convinced them to drive to the sheriff's office. Right. Yes. And to be fair, he like prefaced it with like, I know this is going to sound crazy. Like, please don't laugh. And then he said this and the guy like still laughed at him. Right. He was like, you're a dick. Thank you. Yeah. I wonder if they get like crank calls. Oh, I'm sure. Especially since it's, you know, the South, like what the fuck else is going on? Yeah. And the seventies, it's not like you like have a lot to do. I mean, yeah. Like what the fuck else is going on? There's not a ton to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but still that's like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I wouldn't laugh. I would roll my eyes maybe where they couldn't see me behind and be like, point to my coworkers like this fucking guy. Right. And be like this fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Like professional phone tone. Thank you. Professional phone tone. Yes. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, absolutely. But I've never heard it put that way. Just came to me, Monique. Which is the correct way. So yeah, fuck this guy for laughing. But also he did turn around and was like, no, you guys should come in and tell us. Like, no, I'm here for you. Yeah, he fixed it. Yes. At first, sheriff's investigators just thought the men had been drunk, but Parker said he never drank and Hickson claimed he only had a drink after to settle his nerves. And apparently he literally just like walked into the station and was like, I just want to let you know right off the bat, I had a drink. That being said, it was after this and I had to drink because of the shit I saw. So sure. Thank you. I mean, but here's the thing. One, that was good on him for being upfront about it. Two, as someone who's imbibed many a time and many a time to excess, I've never hallucinated while I'm drunk. Right? Ever. Especially some shit like that. Girl. Yeah. Uh, If that's all it took to fucking have an alien encounter, I'm pretty sure I would have had several by now. Thanks. So. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Cool. I was like, or I would be drinking way more because I, you know, I want to see some shit, Monique. Oh, absolutely. I know. So the men were interviewed separately about their experience with Hickson providing most of the information of the actual abduction since Parker said he passed out as he was being taken to the craft and didn't remember anything till he regained consciousness back on the riverbank. After they were interviewed separately, the two men were put in a room alone together with a recorder secretly taping them. Believing the men might be lying about their story, the deputies were hoping to catch the pair dropping the act once they thought they were alone. But they didn't. Mm. Instead, the two could be heard talking about what they had seen and how scared they were and how no one would ever believe them. Yeah, Hickson can be heard saying, quote, they won't believe it. They gonna believe it one of these days. Might be too late. I knew all along they was people from other worlds up there. I knew all along. I never thought it would happen to me. End quote. Mm. And I like listened to the recording. It's, I mean, it's not great quality, obviously, because it's the seventies and it's a fucking tape recorder that's in like hidden in a drawer in this room. (laughs) Right. But they sound so genuine and so serious and so freaked out. Like 
if these people are lying about this and like faking this for attention, like you deserve the fucking Academy Award because it, yeah, literally like Parker is like, I want to see a doctor. Like I'm freaked the fuck out. Like I want to go home. Yeah. I need something to settle my nerves. Like, did you see the door open? I can't believe those things grabbed us. Like it's yeah. 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 Seems legit. Just my personal opinion. After the deputies listened to the secret tape recording, which Hickson and Parker didn't find out about until much later, they took them more seriously. Jackson County Sheriff's Captain Glenn Ryder told the Post, quote, we did everything we knew to try to break their stories. If they were lying to me, they should be in Hollywood, end quote. Hmm. Apparently, both of them were worried that they may have been contaminated by radiation, so they asked to be checked over. Again, I told you, Parker's like asking to see a doctor. He's super freaked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get it. But honestly, that wouldn't even really occur to me, but that's a smart move. A hundred percent. Same. I would literally, I would literally be like, I'm just going to go home and drink until I black out. Yep. And then I'm going to go to sleep and pretend this was a dream. Yeah. That would be my, my course of action as well. Yes. Not healthy. A psychiatrist might have something to say about this, but. Don't recommend it. That is what I would do. Mm Mm-hmm. Since the sheriff's department and the local hospital couldn't test them for radiation poisoning, the men were sent to Kessler Air Force Base. Shit. After they were given the all clear, yeah. They were interviewed again about their experience by the officers at the base. Afterwards, Parker said, quote, they let us go, not telling us if they believed us or not, but by the look on their faces, I think they did, end quote. Mm. Yes. And he said they never told them to like keep it secret or like there was any sort of like conspiracy thing. He seemed it was like just very routine. Also, it's an Air Force base. You know, they've seen some shit. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. When Hickson returned home and told his wife what had happened, she said, quote, I was like everybody else. I had a hard time believing it. But three or four hours later, I knew something was wrong. I was up all night wiping sweat off him. He jumped straight up in the bed. He was scared to death, end quote. Mm-hmm. Parker, on the other hand, was so afraid that the creatures had infected him with something that when he got home from the sheriff's department, he literally took a bath in bleach, <gasps> which I'm assuming is he poured it in a bathtub and diluted it because that is so bad if he did not. Like, so bad. Yeah. But like... To get to that level of freaked out where you're like, no, I literally need to pour bleach on myself because this is... Some shit happened to you. Some shit happened to you. Facts. I've never thought about <laughs> taking a beach bla- <laughs> a bleach bath. <laughs> Either one. Yes. Either one. Beach bath, <laughs> bleach bath, whatever. <laughs> they all sound not great. No. It's like literally the only time I will do it is when my hands smell like mildew from the sponge. And then I will just do like a little spray, my bleach spray, and then wash it off with soap and water. That's it. Mm. Never had I gone through some shit where I'm like, hey, uh, I'm going to pour all this bleach in the bathtub, pop right in there, marinate for a little bit, wash this away. Cool. Uh, Can you imagine like his wife sleeping next to him? Like, because when, when you clean like your you know, kitchen or your fucking bathroom, whatever, with bleach. Like, bleach is a very specific smell. Yes. So imagine your partner just, like, crawls into bed with you and smells of fucking bleach. Like, what's up? What happened? What's going on? What's up, babe? You good? Can we have a kiki? What's going on here? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, 
That's very telling to me, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Even though Parker and Hickson had asked the authorities not to tell anyone about what they had reported, by the time the two men returned to work the next day, word of their otherworldly encounter had already spread. The shipyard was swarmed by news vans, and Parker estimated that around 200 reporters were there hoping to talk to him and Hickson. Overnight, their story had become national news. Hickson took off work for two weeks, hoping things would die down, but they didn't. Mm. Hickson said that eventually it got to the point where he was like, they know about it. I might as well tell them what happened. Right. In addition to the reporters, astronomers, and pioneering ufologists, Dr. J. Allen Hynek and Dr. James Harder arrived in Pascagoula within 36 hours to interview and hypnotize Parker and Hickson. One source I read said the hypnosis was unsuccessful, while others said it was and that their stories remained the same. I read the transcript of a few of the sessions. Okay. And it seemed like it worked to me. Like, it's Mm. the same story they told pretty much, and they're telling it like they're reliving it, which Mm -hmm. seems legit, but whatever. I'm not a hypnosis expert. Yeah. While under hypnosis, Hickson said he recalled something that gave him chills. Quote, there were people on that spaceship, living beings in another compartment. They never came in there where we were. And I'm telling you, they looked almost like us. End quote. (sighs) Yeah. (sighs) He believed these other beings were the ones who were actually in charge of the whole operation, but they weren't able to survive in our atmosphere. So they had to send those creatures, which Hickson believed were essentially robots, to retrieve them. Hmm. After interviewing the two men under hypnosis, Harder concluded that they, quote, had experienced extraterrestrial phenomenon, end quote. Though Hynek didn't necessarily agree that their experience was extraterrestrial in nature, he did say, quote, there is no question in my mind that these men have had a very real, frightening experience, end quote. Hmm. So that's one of those, like, I believe that you believe that this happened. Right. Yeah. But I don't actually believe that this happened. Right. While this did seem to help their credibility somewhat, there were still plenty of skeptics and many of the men's own friends and family didn't believe them. The two men offered to take polygraph tests, which they passed. However, it was later claimed that the officer who conducted the test was inexperienced. And when Hickson refused to take another from a more senior officer, it was seen as suspect. I mean, polygraphs are bullshit anyway. Correct. Because there's so many like factors in it and it's not even, it doesn't even say if you're telling the truth or not. It just shows if you're freaking out or not. Yes. Correct. It's kind of it. And it depends on like the questions that are asked, how they're asked. Yeah. It can be very leading and yeah, no. Right. That's why they're not admissible in court. And if you ever are in a situation where you're asked to take a polygraph, fucking say no. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. You're like, nope, I want my lawyer. Thank you. Hickson never wavered in his belief of what happened to him, though, and would recount the experience to anyone who would listen. He gave numerous interviews to the press and was even on Johnny Carson and Dick Cavett, as well as an episode of the game show to tell the truth. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's like a big deal. Yeah. Like Johnny Carson? Come on. Yeah. What was most surprising to Hickson was that, quote, nobody was laughing at us, at least not to our face. I never took any ridicule. My children at school never took any ridicule, end quote. Mm. Which is, I feel like it's kind of odd for that situation. I feel like usually you hear the opposite. Yeah. Eventually, he began lecturing on the subject and even published a book in 1983 called UFO Contact at Pascagoula. The father of five eventually retired as a shipyard foreman and spent his later years caring for his wife. 
Parker, on the other hand, continued to tell the media he had passed out at the beginning of the whole affair and couldn't remember what happened, just wanting to pretend the whole thing never occurred. Hmm. But he couldn't seem to escape it. He said, quote, my life turned pretty much to hell right after that, end quote. Hmm. Within a few weeks, he lost his job because reporters wouldn't stop showing up at the shipyard to ask him questions. Oh, that sucks. And after that, he decided to skip town. Yeah, fuck. He got married and started picking up work in oil fields. If someone at a job recognized him, he would quit and move on to a new town. Mm. It even got to the point that he started going by the name Randy instead of Calvin to hide from the press. Hickson said Parker had a harder time handling the experience than he did. Parker had only been 19 at the time, and unlike Hickson, who had fought in Korea, had never really been through a traumatic experience before. Mm -hmm. Although Parker eventually suffered from a nervous breakdown, which led to him briefly divorcing his wife, she continued to support him, and the two later remarried. Mm. Charles Hickson never recanted his story and maintained the truth of his alien encounter for the next 38 years. He even claimed to have had several other encounters with UFOs after the incident at Pascagoula. Oh, shit. In February 1974, yeah. While out hunting, he saw part of a craft through the brush and heard a voice in his head say, quote, tell people we mean you no harm. You have endured. You have been chosen. There is no need to fear. Your world needs help. We will help before it's too late. Mm. You are not prepared to understand. We will return again soon, end quote. Which I would just be like, bro, that's like so much right now. <laughs> No. <laughs> I mean, I'm more like TikTok. The world is going to shit. Where the fuck have you guys been? Right? Get it the fuck together. You are slacking on helping the world. Yes. Seriously. Move up your timetable. What the fuck? <laughs> then on Mother's Day in May 1974, as he was driving back from a family get-together, Hickson, his wife, their youngest son, their daughter, and the man his daughter was married to at the time, all saw a light following them. Then a saucer-shaped craft appeared to the right of the car before it eventually disappeared. Hickson's daughter, who was 18 at the time, said, quote, I saw it with my own eyes. Mama was so scared, she was screaming, end quote. Charles Hickson eventually passed away from a heart attack on September 9th, 2011, at the age of 80. For 45 years, Calvin Parker stuck to the story that he had passed out right before he was taken onto the craft and didn't remember anything. But in 2018, he finally came forward to tell the truth. While he did initially faint, he says he regained consciousness shortly after. According to Parker, he had always remembered what happened to him, but was so disturbed by the experience that he never wanted to talk about it. So it was easier to just pretend he didn't remember. Mm. It wasn't till he was in his 60s that he began giving interviews and lectures about what he really remembered. And on July 8th, 2018, Calvin Parker published a book detailing his experience titled Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter. In it, he recounted being taken by the strange wrinkled creatures and injected with something that turned his terror into a sort of peaceful apathy before being brought inside the craft and subjected to an examination similar to Hickson's. Afterwards, a smaller being entered the room, which made him feel more at ease. According to Parker, she looked human and seemed completely normal. He even went so far as to say that if he'd met her in a bar, he probably would have asked her on a date. <laughs> Right? I like had to include that. I was like, okay, like get it. That was not surprising. Do you remember Crescent from Oh yeah. From the other alien love story I told? Yeah. Yeah. 
The only odd thing he noticed about her was that her two middle fingers were much longer than what an average person's would be. Mm -hmm. Parker then remembers that without saying a word, the creature opened his mouth and put her fingers down his throat. He started gagging and said that she had, quote, yeah, intense consent first, lady. (laughs) Please. Not cool. Ugh. And he said that she had, quote, scratched it up real bad and it was pleading, end quote. Mm. Which like, oh, what the fuck was you even doing in there? Yes. Yes. Girl, get your hands out my mouth. Thank you. Thank you, Monique. (laughs) I didn't think we had to say that, but yes. Alien bitch, get your hands out of my mouth. Thank you. Eventually it pulled its hand back out and he got the feeling that it didn't want to hurt him anymore. Then he said it made a strange groan from deep within its throat that he compared to an alligator's mating call, saying it felt like it was vibrating the air around them. Oh. After that, the robot-like creature that had originally carried him aboard the craft came back and brought him back to the bank of the river. So I think it's only fair that I include a little obligatory devil's advocate. Sure. Obviously, first and foremost, Parker's credibility was called into question mainly because he admitted to lying about being passed out during the encounter and not remembering what happened, but also because he had suffered from a nervous breakdown. Sure. As for Hickson, well-known UFO skeptic Philip J. Class claimed there were quote-unquote discrepancies in his story, but they seemed to be minor at best, and the example he gave was literally that Hickson said the creatures had a hole for a mouth, And then he changed it to say they had a slit for a mouth, which... Yeah, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. Like, that doesn't even really seem like that big of a discrepancy. Like, whole slit? Okay. My bad. Because it could also be that in that moment, that word didn't come to you when you said it the first time. And then you're like, actually, no, you know, thinking back, it's more, it's, it actually is more this thing. Yes. Correct. Yeah. That's fucking dumb. Yeah. I was like, okay, get over it, dude. Semantics. In 2012, Joe Nickel, a senior research fellow of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, published an article in the Skeptical Inquirer that claimed Hickson's behavior was quote-unquote questionable and that Hickson later embellished his story, which kind of maybe was a little true. It seems like some, some parts of the story get a little better in the retelling. I see. Okay. Because he like went on all these talk shows and stuff. Mm, yeah. It was also revealed that Hickson was once fired for improperly obtaining money from his employees, which Nickel believed further called his credibility into question. Nickel believed that Hickson had experienced a hypnagogic or waking dream state in which he had hallucinated the craft and the creatures. A hypnagogic experience would also apparently account for the sense of floating and the paralysis. Nickel believed that Parker, on the other hand, was just, quote unquote, highly suggestible and had taken this story that Hickson said and corroborated it. Okay. Now, to obligatory devil's advocate, my obligatory devil's advocate. Uh-huh. Because here's the thing. In 2018, a woman named Maria Blair came forward and said she witnessed Hickson and Parker's abduction that night. At the time, she was waiting in the car with her husband close to where the Pascagoula incident occurred. She said she saw a strange blue light streaking back and forth, but at the time, she just thought it was a plane or a helicopter. According to Blair, the blue light continued moving without any noticeable sound for about 30 minutes before it went out of sight. 
Then she heard a loud splash, like something fell in the water. And when she looked down, she saw what looked like a person in the water. She didn't think much of it until the next day when she heard about what Parker and Hickson had told the Jackson County Sheriff's Department. It was then that she realized what she had seen, saying, quote, I was watching two men being abducted by a UFO, end quote. Damn. Yeah. Like, crazy. I can't even imagine. Yeah. No. Despite believing what she saw was a UFO, she kept quiet for the next 45 years. Girl, fucking speak up. (laughs) Yeah. His husband was like, seriously, like, you can't talk to anybody about this. Like, they're going to think you're crazy. No. Mm. And I believe he was also in the car and also saw the same thing, though he was not interviewed in the news article I read. So I'm not 100% sure on that. I see. Okay. Okay. So she kept quiet for the next 45 years. But when she saw a recent media report about the abduction, Maria finally got the courage to come forward and said her motivation was to give Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson's story validation. Mm. She said, quote, I always wanted to talk to them just them about it to let them know that they weren't lying because they weren't lying. End quote. Mm. In 2018, Maria finally met Parker face to face for the first time at the same spot on the Pascagoula river where the alleged abduction occurred. Blair told him, quote, it's burnt right in my mind. End quote. And Parker said, quote, it is mine too. End quote. Afterwards, Blair said, quote, I can now put my mind at ease that I told what I knew. The story is very true. That's what has bothered me for 45 years. It's been on my mind for 45 years, end quote. Mm. In 2019, Pascagoula installed a plaque near the abduction site to commemorate the incident. The marker states, quote, the Pascagoula UFO story remains the best documented case of alien abduction, end quote. When it was officially unveiled, Parker was so overwhelmed by the emotions of finally having the story he was ridiculed about for decades legitimized that he cried and said it was one of the happiest moments in his life. Oh, I know. In recent years, even more instances of validation of the story have emerged. More than two dozen witnesses have come forward with their own reports of UFO sightings on or around the Pascagoula River in Jackson County in the weeks surrounding October 11th, 1973. One man reported seeing a large ship floating over the river from the cab of his crane while he worked that night. A couple reported seeing a large vessel with a blue light flying low over the river as they drove over the bridge. And a man who worked as a police officer in the sheriff's office that Parker and Hickson went to and who was on duty that night came forward claiming that he fielded about 50 calls that night from people claiming to have seen something in the sky. Dude, what the fuck? Yes. And like they literally like had reports like on the coast where they could like basically like track its course. Yeah. It's movements. Yeah. Over the like course of a week. Like they had like so many reports around the Gulf. Very bizarre. Mm. Parker is currently enjoying his retirement with his wife, fishing and battling a recent cancer diagnosis. Quote, I'm fighting a totally different battle right now, but it's not the first one. End quote. Despite all this, he says he'll never forget what happened to him the night of October 11th, 1973. Parker said he's glad the government is now openly talking about UFOs and believes they are a threat to humans. Quote, I still have a few nightmares about it. I really think that I was abducted by some kind of life form from another planet. It's foolish to look up at the sky and see all these stars have planets around them and think that we're the only life, end quote. Mm. And that is the story of the Pascagoula incident 
or the abduction of Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker. That's nuts. Bananas. But that has to feel pretty fulfilling to finally be legitimized after 45 fucking years. Yes. And to have somebody like come to you and be like, yeah, I was there that night and you got abducted. I watched that shit. That's fucking crazy. Crazy. So I was fascinated by the fact that it didn't seem to be the typical grays. Mm -hmm. That it was like these weird wrinkled alien things. Yeah. Uh, The secret recording kind of sketched me out. Right. Like they're so freaked out and they're so like deadpan about this. Like this just sounds like people talking about some shit that happened to them. It doesn't sound like they're, they're lying in any way, shape or form. Right. Yeah. And the fact that Hickson under hypnosis later was like, yeah, there were these like humanoid creatures. I never saw them, but like they were there in other compartments. And then Parker's story came through with that. Yeah. Like, well, because we've over the you know year and a half that we've been doing this, that is the thing that, that you keep hearing of either that there are humans on there or that they're like the hybrids. Yes. And it's that thing of like, it tracks in the stories. Like you hear it repeatedly come up. So it's like, and how many times was that being mentioned in the fucking seventies in the South? Probably not at all. Probably not. Yeah. Can't even imagine. Yeah. So anyway, more alien stories by Amy, because I can't get enough. I love it. Ah, (laughs) they're so weird. That was very weird. Kudos to those guys. I know. I'm always like, I want to see a UFO. And then I'm always like, but I don't want to also see some shit and get abducted and have people not believe me. I'm down to see something, but have it be a very distant, like, don't interact with me to stay there. No probing. Yeah. No probing, no contact. Just be like, look at that. Slides are kind of weird. Cool. Yes. That's a, that's unexplainable. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Anything more than that is a, is a shant from me. I do not consent aliens. <gasps> I was like, don't do this. Please don't. Don't do this, please. Please don't. <laughs> but that story was amazing. I never heard of it, obviously. Thank you. I actually hadn't either, despite this being like... Your jam. Yeah. My jam, one. And two, seemingly like well-documented as far as like alien encounters go. Yeah. Anyway, that was my rabbit hole for the week. It was dark and twisty, but I loved it. <laughs> I love it. All right. Now I'm ready for you to traumatize me with some true crime. I got you. So the story is uh, definitely fucked up. It is the the true crime portion of the episode. Amy gets like a big giddy smile, starts clapping. (laughs) Not a normal reaction. I don't think it's as fucked up as someone tongue fucking a zipper orifice. Oh, no. I started us off with a bang on that that one. Thanks, Cronenberg. Appreciate it. (laughs) You know. There are several minors uh, listed in this and their names have all been changed to protect them. Okay. So in all the articles, they kind of all consistently use the same fake name. So I don't know what their names are, which great. So we're going to be talking about Leslie Don Wilfred and our sources are foxnews.com, medium.com, newportacademy.com, walb.com, timesenterprise.com, and the YouTube channel, The Crime Reel. In 2007, it looked like Leslie Dawn Chansey's life was starting to turn around. The divorced 37-year-old had found love again in 39-year-old Chris Wilfred. 
The pair had met in high school, but it was when they reconnected later in life that sparks flew. While Chris was also divorced and had a nine-year-old son. So the articles, some of them say it was his son. Some of them say it was his stepson. I'm just going to say it was his son because they lived, he lived with him. Okay. You know, there, there could be a discrepancy about that. So while Chris was divorced and had a nine-year-old son from his previous marriage, Leslie was a single mother to four children, all of whom had severe medical issues, girl. Oh, why? As if it wasn't bad enough. No. Girl, we're getting into it. Leslie's 13-year-old son, Charles, had his gallbladder removed when he was young due to frequent bouts of vomiting. Not only that, Charles also needed a liver transplant. Then there was her nine-year-old daughter, Teresa, who was dying from leukemia. To help pay for Teresa's hefty medical bills and regular chemo treatments, Leslie placed canisters throughout the community seeking donations from any good Samaritans to help out with the mounting medical costs. Leslie's other two children also suffered from a variety of medical and psychological conditions, and she told Chris that her 11-year-old biracial daughter, Brianna, had been the product of her being raped by a former co-worker. Chris loved Leslie's children as his own, even offering to donate part of his own liver to save Charles's life. And on June 23rd, 2007, Leslie and Chris married, blending their two families. And by all accounts, Leslie loved being a mom. Most members of the community viewed Leslie as a good parent who was active in her children's lives and frequently participated in school and church events. And despite their tragic ailments, Leslie's children dressed and behaved appropriately enough. While Leslie's children were loved and accepted by their mother and new stepfather, Chris's son Nathan was treated quite differently. According to Leslie and Chris, Nathan was a very dangerous child who was prone to violent rages in which he would threaten the family. No, I don't like that. That's not the kid you want. Sorry. (laughs) We're going to get into all of it. As a result, Nathan usually wasn't allowed to participate in family events and outings. And he was often isolated from his stepbrothers and stepsisters. Friends and neighbors rarely saw him outside of the house. Even though they collectively had five children, the pair wanted to have a baby together. So shortly after getting married, the Wilfreds tried for another baby. And a year into their marriage, Leslie excitedly announced that she was pregnant with twins. But Nathan's behavioral problems continued. And in the fall of 2008, police were called to the Wilfred's home after Chris and Leslie reported that Nathan had threatened the family with a knife. As a standard procedure, the incident subsequently prompted an investigation with Child Protective Services. And as part of the investigation, Leslie was required to meet with officials involved in Nathan's case to discuss his outbursts. And the caseworker noted that Leslie's behavior during these appointments was a bit off as she had made several references to Nathan's behavior being directly responsible for the safety and well-being of her unborn twins. On November 10th, just a few weeks after Leslie had said this to the CPS agent, Leslie called her husband with devastating news. She was at Archibald Memorial Hospital and had gone into labor early, but seeing as how she was only five months along, when the twins were delivered, each baby took one breath and passed away. The grief-stricken mother told her husband that the twins had been cremated and she wanted to come home to plan their funeral. Three days later, the family held a service at the Rose City Pentecostal Church. The baby's ashes were held in a pair of teddy bear-shaped urns and two framed ultrasound photos were put on display, with many of those in attendance commenting that the unborn twins looked just like their father, Chris. At the funeral, 
Leslie read a poem she had written from the perspective of the twins entitled, A Letter to Our Daddy. Leslie's four children attended and participated in the service and were seen crying at the loss of their unborn siblings. Chris's son, Nathan, however, was not allowed to attend the funeral. When news of the stillbirth got back to CPS, it sent up a red flag. Something wasn't right here. So one of the members working on Nathan's case contacted the sheriff's department with her suspicions, and Officer Bob Brattell decided to investigate. When Brattell contacted Archibald Memorial Hospital, where Leslie had supposedly been treated, he learned that there were no records, either of the stillbirth nor any previous pregnancy checkups. Brattell tried to discuss this with the doctor who had treated Leslie and delivered the twins, but found that that doctor did not exist, because the reality was that Leslie was never pregnant. She actually couldn't get pregnant. She had had her tubes tied before she married Chris, and she had made the whole thing up. What? This is giving me serious uh, Lisa Montgomery vibes right now. Girl, you're not ready for the story. Okay. I am not ready for this. I was literally like the whole time, like I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. Like, is this Munchausen's? Like, what is going on? Girl, we're getting it. It's fucking nuts. Bertel's initial findings led to a cascade of discoveries about Leslie's lies. Not only had she made up her entire pregnancy, but a search warrant of her computer revealed that Leslie had ordered the huggable teddy bear urns five days prior to the twins' quote-unquote deaths, indicating... Mm-hmm. Tacky. Mm-hmm. So tacky. Tacky! Yeah. Mm-mm. Yes. Nope. Not cute. It's not just fucked up, it's tacky. It's really tacky. Truly. Yeah indicating that she had planned to concoct the stillbirth story all along. The ultrasound pictures she displayed at the funeral, she had printed them off the internet. Additional seizures of medical records, search warrants, and other documents unearthed even more sinister fabrications. Her 13-year-old son, Charles, never needed a liver transplant. Yep. I was like, I don't believe all these kids are sick. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And as a result, the child's gallbladder surgery was immediately called into question, and investigators began to suspect that Leslie had been poisoning her son, which (gasps) led to his chronic vomiting. Okay, I didn't know she was going to go that far. I thought she was lying about this. This is too much. Girl, yes. Leslie took her son from doctor to doctor until she found one willing to remove the little boy's gallbladder. So he absolutely had his gallbladder removed because she was poisoning him and being like, he's just sick. Like he keeps vomiting. We don't know why. We don't know why. Oh my God. No one can see my face. My jaw has just been like dropped for the last two minutes. Yeah. What? Yeah. This bitch is crazy. I'm this bitch is fucking crazy. Furthermore, there was no evidence to support that Teresa was dying from leukemia. The little girl's visits to the hospital for chemotherapy treatments had all been an elaborate ruse orchestrated by Leslie and the donation canisters set up throughout Thomasville to fund Teresa's medical bills had all been a sham. So, like, she would take her daughter to the hospital. I don't know what was done there. Like, there was nothing. They sat in the waiting room. Like, they just went for a checkup. Okay. Yeah, like, I have no fucking clue. But what I do know is that all of Leslie's children believed that they were sick because their mother told them so. And their mother kept taking them to the doctor for shit. Yeah. And you're 11. And 13, it's your parents' job to take care of you. Yes. What a psychological mind fuck. I could not know. No. And as Amy mentioned, 
accurately earlier, it became very clear that Leslie had both Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen by proxy. For those who don't know, because uh, I didn't know a bunch, of, uh, I didn't know this bit. Munchausen syndrome is named for Baron Friar von Munchausen, an 18th century German cavalry officer who was known for exaggerating his life experiences. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! To the point that they literally named a thing after him. They're like, dude, you, bro, you are like so intense about this. Like, I'm, I'm calling, I'm making a thing. You are making so much bullshit up. <laughs> yes. It's actually a thing. And we're naming it after you. So when they look look this up, they're going to see your fucking face. Three fucking centuries later. <laughs> yes. And it's like not a cute thing, by the way. Oh my God. Munchausen syndrome is a mental condition in which a person repeatedly seeks medical attention for falsified, exaggerated, or self-inflicted physical symptoms. Whereas Munchausen by proxy is a mental condition in which a person repeatedly seeks medical attention for another person for symptoms that are falsified, exaggerated, or deliberately induced. People with a disorder are not motivated by the desire for money or other material goods, but are primarily seeking special attention and sympathy. In cases of Munchausen by proxy, their victims can be anyone in their care, including elderly adults, disabled people, and even pets, which I didn't even think of that, but what? Can you imagine just like doing shit to your pets and be like, my cat is sick. Oh, what's fucking wrong with people? I can't. No. But most victims of Munchausen by proxy are preschool age children. Mothers are most likely to receive a Munchausen by proxy diagnosis. However, fathers can also suffer from the disorder. As a result, Munchausen by proxy is considered a form of child abuse with healthcare experts describing it as medical child abuse. And I saw this somewhere, but then I like lost the page. I think it's something like nine to 10% of victims of Munchausen by proxy die. Oh my God. So it's like a huge percentage. So it's like really fucking dangerous and it's usually children. Yeah. That's fucked up and terrifying. Yeah. That it's like one of the highest causes of child death, but it's like super hard to spot. So we're going to get into this. Many individuals who display behavior of Munchausen by proxy also have Munchausen syndrome themselves. According to the Psychiatric Times, 30 to 70% of those who falsify illness in children also falsify illness in themselves. Many mothers with Munchausen syndrome by proxy describe inducing illness in themselves when they were teens. This is so fascinating. Yeah. And it's a thing like it's really hard to tell because I don't know if I get into this later. If I do, we can just cut this. But it's very hard to tell the numbers because so many people are lying about it. Yeah. So you don't actually know what are, we don't actually know what are the actual numbers of Munchausen or Munchausen by proxy. And there's a thing, sometimes people try to conflate hypochondria with Munchausen. I was going to say, my mom always called me a hypochondriac as a child. And that's all I can think of right now. (laughs) Well, because the difference is, is that with hypochondria, you actually believe you're sick. And with Munchausen, they know they're not sick. They know they're doing it to themselves. They know they're doing it to someone else. They're like very aware that it's a lie. Okay. I'm glad you made that distinction. Yeah. Because I had a whole thing on it and I was like, I'm just going to cut this. But yeah, like hypochondriacs like genuinely believe that there's something wrong or they're sick or germs or whatever the fuck. Whereas Munchausen and Munchausen by proxy, they know it's a lie because they're putting rat poison in your food and making you throw up. Okay. That makes sense. Like they're not like, how is this happening? They, they know that. Interesting. I didn't realize that was the distinction between those. 
Yeah. And then I also uh, had never heard of malingering before. Oh, yeah. So it's a similar thing of like making yourself sick or pretending to be sick. But for that, it's for financial gain. Like that's the MO. Okay. Whereas Munchausen, it's just, they just want the special attention. But because if anyone saw Mommy Dead and Dearest, which is fucking nuts. Oh, yes. That's all I'm thinking of right now. Of course. Yeah. Besides my hypochondria. (laughs) Anyone who saw Mommy Dead and Dearest, uh, the HBO documentary, uh, deals with Munchausen by proxy. But even though the goal is to get sympathy and, and special attention. In Mommy Dead and Dears, for instance, Dee Dee Blanchard said that her daughter had, I believe, muscular dystrophy in addition to a slew of other shit and like needed a wheelchair. So like one of like Habitat for Humanity or whoever the fuck built a house for them with like wheelchair ramps everywhere. So even though that's not the goal, they do tend to benefit financially because people aren't pieces of shit. And when they see a family, especially children, who got like a shit lot in life. Yeah. People want to help in any way they can. So they do end up benefiting financially or like getting like, you know, trips to Disney World and shit or, you know, but that's not the goal. It's And even so it's, it's the like, I'm the special person at Disney World type of thing. Yes. So the sexual assault, which resulted in the conception of 11-year-old Brianna was also investigated by the police. They found no records of the assault as it had never been reported to the police. And while most rapes go unreported for a slew of very valid reasons, and it does not in itself mean that the attack never happened, many of Leslie's family members were convinced that Leslie had wanted a mixed-race baby after seeing the attention another family member received after giving birth to a biracial child. Girl, I know. I wish you could see Amy's face. My jaw has just been like dropped for this whole fucking story. Like, what is happening. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. This, along with the never-ending lies uncovered about Leslie, now brought her version of events into question. International expert in fictitious disorder, because Munchausen and Munchausen by proxy are considered fictitious disorders because they're not real illnesses, and malingering, Dr. Mark Feldman noted that while Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen by proxy are considered psychiatric fictitious disorders in the fifth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, doctors are wary of considering them a form of mental illness. Since Munchausen by proxy can lead to fatalities in children, Feldman and other psychiatrists try to disassociate the condition with mental health so that perpetrators can be fairly prosecuted in court. Which, great. Fuck these people. Interesting. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, fuck you, you're doing this intentionally. Like, you are not actually... Yeah. Right. Fuck you. Exactly. Yes. Now, everything I've told you about this colossal piece of shit is awful, but it turns out that the worst of it was put on Chris's nine-year-old son, Nathan. Oh, no. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, no. Girl, it's so bad. I don't know where we're going. Okay. (laughs) It's so bad. I'm not ready for this. Okay. No, you're not. I'm sorry. I told you the story was really bad and fucked up. Okay. On November 21st, 2008, during a search of the Wilfrid's residence, officers discovered a small two-by-two square foot wooden box in the linen closet of the master bedroom. The box, which had been secured to the closet floor with screws, contained a pillow, blankets, and angry writings on its walls. The closet door also had a lock on the outside. Leslie had initially claimed that the box had been used to house animals, but further investigation revealed that it was Nathan who had been forced to sleep in the box every night 
with plastic bands strapped around his arms to prevent him from making noise. Girl. What? The actual fuck? No wonder he has fucking behavioral issues. Like, maybe don't do this to a child and traumatize them. Officer Patel said, quote, I've been in law enforcement for 30 years and have been an investigator for 25 of those years. I've investigated everything from homicides to armed thefts. I had never encountered anything like this before, end quote. So the Wilfred's explanation for the box was that Nathan was too violent and needed to be constrained during the nighttime hours. But psychiatric analysis of the young boy showed that he didn't suffer from anger issues. His only diagnosis was PTSD as a result from being confined to a tiny box every evening. Yeah. Uh, no fucking shit. Like, uh, yeah. I, again, jaw is dropped. I can't. This bitch. This fucking bitch. I can't. Okay. After undergoing an evaluation, doctors noted that Leslie did not exhibit any other symptoms of major mental health issues. Rather, she had a personality disorder, most likely borderline personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder. So you might be like, what the fuck? Where was Chris in this whole thing? But another trend that's seen in Munchausen cases, which was seen in Leslie's case, is the presence of an unquestioning partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. When police asked Chris if he had suspected that Leslie was faking her pregnancy, he said he had no idea she was lying, even though they had been intimate with his wife during the time she claimed to be pregnant. And they took that that picture that every pregnant couple takes where it's like a picture of her belly and they're like both holding it. Like it's like, it's a close up of the belly. She's holding her belly. And then he has her hand, his hands on top of her and hashtag not a mother. Hashtag never been pregnant. But when you're pregnant, your belly button sticks out because there's a fucking baby in there. That's taking up all the room. That's pushing it out. Yeah. And it just looks like she's just, I mean, it does look like she's pregnant, but when you look at that picture, pushing her stomach out, well, she looks pregnant, but it doesn't look like a pregnant belly. Like when you look at that picture, like the belly button's very much like a regular belly button. It's not sticking out. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Moms, you got, you can come for me. That's fine. I don't know shit about this and that's fine. You can be like, what the fuck? But it doesn't look like a pregnant belly. Not to me. Cause she's not pregnant. Correct. Cause she's not fucking pregnant. This piece of shit. Okay. But also no offense. I do know, like, <laughs> I do know some guys that you could totally just be like, yeah, I'm pregnant. They'd be like, oh, sure. I don't know how, I don't know how the human, bo- the, I don't know how a female body works. Like, yeah, I'll go along with it. Like, don't worry. Yeah. If you ever want to like flip a table, just go online and read those things of like what men think about periods or what they think about tampons and what they're used for and how they're used. And it's so wildly like, it's like, who, what? What? Yeah, you had to take health class, right? Like, no, no basic anatomy knowledge. Just checking. Thank you. The American school system is failing people. Let me fucking tell you. That is true. It's wild. Feldman said, quote, in case after case, you find these very passive husbands. They don't question the lack of insurance bills because the mother claims she's handling them. They have very traditional marriages. Anything involving the children is the woman's responsibility and work life is his domain, end quote. And it's like, it didn't even occur to me until I read that. And I was like, yeah, what about the fucking insurance bills? If you're going and having chemo treatments every fucking week or whatever the fuck, that costs a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. But also, 
it's one of those things where I was like, oh, I guess we like don't have to pay all this money for our kids. I'm not going to question that. That sounds great. That's the ideal. I guess. I'm not trying to justify this man's oblivion because no, you should be aware of what's going on with your children and asking questions and involved as a parent. You should not just be like, yeah, okay, honey, whatever, whatever you say. Yeah, exactly. Thus, fully responsible for her crimes, in November 2008, Leslie Wilfred was arrested and charged with five counts of cruelty to children. Bond was set at $50,000 and she remained in jail. Chris Wilfred was arrested on one count of cruelty to children for locking his son Nathan in the box. He was released on bond. In January 2009, Leslie was additionally charged with theft by deception for the money she had raised for Teresa. Bond was denied. After being in the county jail for more than two years, in March 2011, Leslie Wilfred entered guilty pleas in the Thomas County Superior Court to five counts of cruelty to children in the first degree. She also entered a guilty plea to one count of theft by deception. At her sentencing on Friday, April 8th, 2011, a weeping Leslie Wilfred apologized to the Thomas County Superior Court Judge Harry J. Altman and acknowledged her wrongdoings. Wearing a jail uniform and with her ankles shackled, Leslie said, quote, I know I have done wrong. I know what my problems are, end quote. She told the judge that she has, quote unquote, had problems since she had been born and that she cannot take back what she did. She said that if released, she would not harm society, that she had learned who she is and what her problems are. Her lawyer asked the judge to be as merciful as possible when sentencing his client, pointing out that Leslie had no prior criminal history and was a fucking nurse because this is a thing, apparently, It's very, very common in Munchausen and Munchausen by proxy cases that the person like committing the shit is a healthcare worker. That's very interesting. Yes. Yeah. That's an interesting correlation. I don't know how to even feel about that. And like you have the knowledge Mm -hmm. to back it up. And I feel like, again, your people are far more likely to believe you. You're like, oh, she's a nurse. Like, who am I to question that her daughter has leukemia like right yeah right so they know how to like fake shit they know how to fuck shit up but then there's that thing of like in addition to you to this person being the parent which again hashtag not a mother but i'm pretty sure like your job is to protect your kids and then it's a double fucking whammy because as a fucking nurse you have to take the hippocratic oath of do no fucking harm and not only are you doing harm you're doing it to your fucking kids yeah. So you can have a fucking pity party and be told like what an amazing mom you are that you're dealing with all this shit. Ugh, what a piece of shit. I can't handle it. Weird. I, I'm just like really fucked up about this because part of my brain is like, okay, you're surrounded by people who are sick all the time. So you, it gets in your head like, oh, okay, I'm constantly looking for like diseases and symptoms and what is causing this. But if it's Munchausen's, then she consciously knew her children weren't sick and made a decision to make them appear sick. So like, it's not just that the job got in your head and fucked with you and like made you believe this. No, it's, it seems like to me, it's like purposeful and and there's intent behind it. It's that thing of like, I am a nurse because I want people to be grateful that I'm taking care of them. Yeah. And like rely on me. Okay. And just giving someone like fucking a snack pack, giving my like five-year-old a snack pack and like a lunch is like not doing it for me in the same way because it's not as high stakes. And, you know, you're not going to get the same thing of like, you're an amazing mom 
when like your kids are healthy. Unfortunately, that's just how it is, unfortunately. As opposed to like they have they're my daughter's fucking dying of leukemia. And like, oh my God, you're such a hero. Like, ah, whatever. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm I'm guessing. I definitely know someone who has Munchausen's. And it's it's not like it's very like they no one has more ailments than them. No one suffers more than them. And it's always like, it's all for the fucking pity party. Oh my God, how are you? And it's like, none of this is fucking real. Just like, none of it's real. Yeah. And the thing is, also has a very passive husband. Okay. This person has a very passive husband. And everyone in her circle reinforces this like fucked up fantasy. Mm. That no one suffers more than her and this and whatever. And if anyone, aka me is like calls them out on their shit. They get 86 immediately. And then there's the campaign to like discredit the person, the truth teller in it. It's very fucked up. We need more people like you, Monique. Tell the truth. Yeah. Call these Munchausen bitches out. Not okay. Yeah. I mean, they like have like a billion shrinks. They go to the doctor all the time. And like, whenever you talk to her, it's like, oh, I have this problem and that problem. Like it's, it's so gross and fucked up. Because it's not fucking real. Like, it's just not real. It's not real. Yes. Yes. Like, everyone has, like, issues. Everyone, you know, everyone has their, like, health shit and whatever. And, you know, I, I'm in a pretty decent health. But I still have, like, you know, my bullshit. Like, my knees fucked up. And, you know, it's annoying. But, like, that's not a conversation starter of every conversation. I would be so afraid that I would end up, like, manifesting this shit for myself by, like, telling people I had something I didn't have. For sure. Clearly, that's not affecting them, but that's where my head would go. I'd be like, no, I, I pretend to have something. I'm going to fucking actually get it. My dad had cancer a few years ago. He's fine. He's nailing it. He's doing great. But in the time that he went through all of that, this person didn't reach out because they couldn't out-cancer him with all of their supposed ailments. Oh, my God. So they just, like didn't reach out to be like, Hey, heard you had cancer. How's that going? Because they're sick and fucked up. It's so fucked up. I like, I can't handle it. Oh my God. But that person isn't poisoning their children. Yeah. Or if she's poisoning herself, I don't give a fuck. Go for it. But like, you know, this Leslie Wilfred is a colossal piece of shit. Yes. So judge Altman sentenced Leslie Don Wilfred to 20 years in prison, but to serve eight with it. But I don't understand what's the point of that but I don't know what that means, but okay. I'm assuming it's like, it's 20 years, but you like have to, you can't, you have to survey, but I don't even know if that's true because we're going to get into it. So she sentenced to 20 years in prison, serve eight with a credit for the 30 months that she had been held in the county jail. She was ordered to undergo alcohol and drug screening and treatment and pay restitution of $1,303 to the church and $600 to the church pastor for aid she received under false pretenses. She was also sentenced to 30 years probation following her incarceration, in which she is not allowed to have any contact with her children who went into foster care during her probation unless approved by the probation office, a psychologist or psychiatrist treating the children, or the court. Chris Wilfred was also convicted of one count of cruelty to children and also ordered not to have contact with them either. On July 21st, 2014, Leslie Don Wilfred was released from prison after serving only three years of her sentence, which what the fuck? What? This woman. (sighs) Yeah, but don't worry about it because 10 days later, she was back in prison for violating her parole because she'd contacted one of her fucking children. Okay, okay. Literally the one thing they told you you couldn't do, but okay. Literally it's the one fucking thing, but because you're fucking psycho piece of shit. Ugh, 
Yes. I literally just want to flip this fucking table. I know. This woman locked her child in a box and then had another one's gallbladder, like gallbladder removed. What the fuck? And then like pretended to like have a stillbirth. And it's shit like this. Like there are women who actually go through this and it's the most fucking heartbreaking, traumatizing thing that they've ever gone through. And you're doing it for sympathy. You're so fucked up and fucking crazy. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Go back to jail, please. Like, do not pass go. Do not collect 200 charity dollars. Like, get Mm-mm. back in jail, please. Thank you. Go directly to jail. I can't find anything about her after her going back in. I don't know, because this was 2014. Okay. I'm assuming she's probably out. As I mentioned before, when all the shit went down, the children were placed in foster care. And while they thankfully didn't suffer any long-term physical damage... The psychological damage inflicted by Leslie Wilfred will never be fully known. And that is the horrific story of piece of shit, Leslie Don Wilfred. Wow. I was not ready for the level of that. Yeah. That was deeply fascinating, though. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she's trash. Yeah. She's trash. And it's it's so wild because... So I don't know if you know this because it's been a minute since you've been to a funeral, but now when people die at the like funeral home website, they do like a remembrance page. Like you can do like a remembrance page of your like deceased loved one. And then people will like write little notes on it. It's almost like a Facebook. Okay. There's like a wall and you can write, you know, and (sighs) I'm very private with my grief. Like it's very few people in my life. (laughs) are subjected to it. Otherwise I don't, you know, I don't need the pity party of it. Yes. I'm just trying to process it and get through my fucking day. Same. Yeah. Like bury it deep. I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Why? No, I'm fine. I'll go and like drink like one drink too many and it'll all come out at the bar, you know, like that kind of like it's, is it a healthy coping? No, it's not. But you know, I never claim to be anything other than pathologically myself for better or worse. So, when her mom died, she wrote this whole long fucking thing on the like wall. And it was just, it was so weird. And I know everyone grieves differently, but it was like very much like seeking attention. And it, it, she ended it with like, I hope, I hope that I make you proud. And it's like, not when you're abusing your children, bitch. Yeah. I think your mom's in heaven or wherever the fuck judging the fuck out of you. I hope so. I'm judging the fuck out of her. So. That's no. Yeah. And like, it was a few, like there were a few of those that I found of like her and she would just wax poetic about like, oh, and this and that, we have an angel. It was, it was just very weird. It was like, what is this for? Like, this isn't for you. Like you're doing it. So other people will see that you posted this and then be like, oh my God, poor you. You must be going through such a hard time. Yeah. I hate all of this. It's all so gross. It's all so cringy. Like, just don't do that. Any of that ever. No, like none of this top to bottom. Just don't do it. It's like crazy. Ugh. Fuck this bitch. Like, it's wild to me that I have to say, don't lock your kid in a box. But apparently this is where the fuck we are. I didn't know that that was like, just not a standard thing that we just do to not do. Yeah. But apparently not. This is why we can't have nice things, Amy. Yes. I didn't know that not everyone got that memo, but like, yeah, as a general rule. I guess not. Okay. Oh my God. 
This was a real mind fuck, Monique. Yeah, totally. Real mind fuck. But thank you for that story. I very much enjoyed that. I had not heard that before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this at least reassures me that if I ever do end up having children, that I'm not going to be this terrible. You're like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to nail it compared to this. So great. Literally, that's where I'm at. I'm like, I mean, I, I won't do that. Yeah. So I can't feel that bad. I was like, I didn't think I'd, you know, be the best mom ever, but I'm definitely not going to be this fucking cunt. Like, what? Mm. I'm haunted by this box in the closet, Monique, and I will not get over this all week. Ugh. No. It's awful. I won't get over your uh, tongue-fucking zipper orifice, so we're square. (laughs) Ah, I needed that to ease (laughs) me into this. Let's be honest. Let's be real. Girl. Thanks so much for your story. (laughs) Thank you for your story. Yeah, always. (laughs) Love face some aliens. For the remaining listeners we have after this fucking bullshit, thanks so much to all of you guys for listening. If you don't follow us on the gram, you should. We're Another Fucking Horror Podcast, and you can find us at Another Fucking Horror Podcast. You can find me, Monique Sanchez, at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me, Amy Traden, at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Every sixth episode, we do a true listener tales episode where we read your crazy stories. So if you have one of those or you just want to say hi, please email us at Another Fucking Horror Podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. As always, thank you so much. We're so obsessed with you. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.